Greetings to everyone this morning, whether you're joining us online or you're here in person. I'm looking forward to continuing in our summer series that we've been in First John. You can be turning to chapter 2. We're going to finish up chapter 2, finally. Uh, but before we get to the text for today, I wanted to give you a little heads up about what's coming as we round around the corner of summer and into the fall. I can't believe today it's already August. So we're going to continue in this study for the next three weeks after today. So I'll preach today and next week in 1 John, and then we'll have two more weeks in 1 John that I'll miss, but I'll get to to that here in a minute. Uh, It's the next week, the last week of August, the 29th, that I want you to mark on your calendar. That is when we kick off our annual regroup effort, okay? So if you're new to us, and we have lots of people that are new to us because of the happenings of this last year, we work really hard here to get every single member here into a small group community where they can know a few others and be known by a few others at a more personal and intimate level. Discipleship is personal and intimate. And so we want it to be, we, we know it needs to happen in the context of relationship. It's something that happens below the mask, below the waterline. And so we want to put ourselves in a place. And that's hard to do in the large setting or online. If you're watching alone, you need a few people in order to take the mask off in order to become more like Christ. We believe that. We believe that so sincerely that our, we, we make a habit of saying that you're not getting the full Southwest shepherding experience. The way our elders have set things up. If you are not engaged in a small group. So that's a big deal. And so regroup is kind of our time to do this. Summer kind of acts as a a normal interruption to a bunch of our small groups. Uh, That's not true for all small groups. They just truck right on through the summer. But if you have kids or vacations, it's kind of as a break. So we use the fall to kind of relaunch those groups, but not just to relaunch, to start brand new groups as well. We're always needing more and better small group environments. So we really, we do it all year. We, we're trying to connect people into small groups all year, but we pay particular attention to those of you who have not found a small group. And so if you're interested in being a small group leader, Ryan has a couple of trainings coming up and that's really for all the current small group leaders to kind of get that shot in the arm. But if you're interested in leading a a small group, you should come to those trainings as well. You can see that information in your bulletin. So that regroup series will take us uh, beyond that through and then past Labor Day. And then I want you to mark your calendar again on September 19th. September 19th will be our annual Recovery Sunday. So again, for those of you who are new, a few years ago, God called this church to become a church, a safe place, very intentionally ministering to the recovery community of Amarillo. So I could just go on and on about ground God has taken since we've made that decision. It's been just very exciting. But that ministry is to people who struggle with addiction of any kind, really. But in particular, alcohol and drug addiction. We want to be a safe place for the family members of those who struggle with addiction. And for the caregivers, the professional caregivers who are in the front line of ministry to those who struggle with that. And so that's something that, that we are doing. And we made a commitment every year to dedicate one Sunday as Recovery Sunday. Not just to remind us that this is on our radar, this is something God's called us to do, but also because all of us are in recovery in some way. 
in one way or another. And uh, it's all, we do it in September because September is National Recovery Month. So the recovery community is already alert and noticing organizations and groups that are supportive of them. And we are one of those places. And we're so grateful to, to be in that ministry. Uh, our recovery minister, Jeremy Hunter, who is leading that ministry all year long, he will lead us on that Sunday. So that's September 19th. You want to mark that. Okay, last thing. I'm excited. I'm very excited personally. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going on my annual sabbatical. It's sabbatical. Is if, if you haven't heard about this, our, minister, our elders offer us ministers a three-week timeout from our regularly minister our regular minister output, okay, in order to have a special time to reconnect with God in a special way. So for me, that always includes a three-day silence and solitude retreat. It always includes kind of an intensive with a mentor type for two or three days and oftentimes has a, a special dedicated time of study on some particular subject, which that's, that's the case this time. So I'm looking forward to that. Adrian Morgan and Jerry Morgan are going to finish up our... Uh, First John series, and then Ryan Porsche will kick off regroup. So those are the three weeks that I will, I may be here, but I won't be up here. And I wanted you to know that. And, and incidentally, because of the COVID year, this, it was just a, for, just like for all of you, it was a unique year. And so we've been, I've been, and our elders have been encouraging all of our ministers to take advantage of that sabbatical time this year. So be looking forward to that and supportive of them in that when they do that, because I'm hoping that they all get to. There's a reason the staff here has been here so long. There's a reason. It's because you care for this staff here very well, and these shepherds shepherd this staff. So I'm, I'm grateful for that and looking forward to that. Okay, First John chapter 2. We're going to finish the chapter. We're going to start in verse 18. A little bit of a lengthy reading, so bear with me. All right, here we go. It's starting in verse 18. Dear, this is John writing. This Pause, time out. This is John. Remember, he wrote this little book of 1 John to a network of churches, churches he's invested in, that he cares deeply for. Everything he learned from Christ, he's passed on to these folks. And he's writing them up to now, just reminding them of all that they have in Christ. And he tells us why he's writing them, and it's just powerful. We now get to a place where he's getting to the crux of why he's writing, because there's a problem. There's a problem. Okay, starting verse 18. Dear children... This is the last hour, and as, if you, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. 
This is what he's promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Okay, there's a, it's a mouthful, isn't it? There's a lot happening in here, but let me set it up what I want to do with this text this morning this way. So John has walked with Jesus. I want you to imagine that for a minute. John was walked with Jesus intense, intensely while he was here on earth. And he listened to Jesus as Jesus introduced this thing called the kingdom. And he listened intently and like a sponge, he saturated all of this new teaching about this view of the world and this understanding of the world called the kingdom way. And he listened to that and then he witnessed Jesus very intimately in his prayer life. Think about this. John watched and got to participate on occasion. And as he watched Jesus engage with the Father that kept him fueled in a way that was consistent with the kingdom he was preaching. Okay, and so that validated what he was hearing about the kingdom when he saw that. And then he witnessed Jesus. He walked around with him and he witnessed him like live this out in all kinds of circumstances, very like impossibly difficult circumstances, including and leading up to and including his death on the cross, a crucifixion, okay? He watched him not waver a bit. He watched him as he engaged with all kinds of people from, from ridiculously, you know, from big fans to overt oppressive enemies. He watched Jesus engage with them and not falter. He watched it work. And by the time he finished his time with Jesus, and this same spirit that, that helped Jesus, the son, connect with the father, was given to John, John is sold out. He is signed on. He is given over. He believes in the truth of this kingdom that Jesus, he believes in it. And add to that the verification in his own heart. As John lives out these kings, he gives it a try. And he notices his joy is like unassailable. It's like this, it's made complete. Just like Jesus, whenever he encounters certain things, he finds that his joy is made complete. On top of that sin that John was dealing with, when he applied Jesus' kingdom principles, he started defeating that sin. He started overcoming sin. This is very validating of what Jesus was preaching. And on top of that, maybe this is the biggest telltale sign that John had bought in. He was confident. He was confident that he was saved. Death held no sway over him because he was certain that he was a part of something that was going to last forever. That he was a part of something that was going to last. And so this was all authenticated and of course he wants then, if it's working like that, and if you've got the kingdom like that, and you've got news like that, you want to share it. And John had 
to hundreds, maybe thousands of folks in this region. And they made up little churches all over. So this network of churches is who he's writing this letter to. And he's writing because there's a threat. There's a threat. He, this precious little flock that he shared everything that he learned from Jesus and they had subscribed to, there are threats that have appeared that are trying to steal Threats that would steal these blessings of the kingdom. And as a father and grandfather figure to these, to these precious churches, he couldn't have that. And so he's writing this letter. And chapter 2 reveals what those are. Now we know he's already identified one briefly. Greg taught on this. He named the world as something to be savvy about, as something to be wary of. Because the world has a bunch of systems that we're all in the world, but we're supposed to be not of the world. When that's compromised, we got to be careful. And we're always in danger of that. So he's already identified the world. Do not love it, he says. Do not love the world because it's full of trickery. It's full of deceit. Okay? Things will make some normal human sense, but we're a part of something that is superhuman, that's supernatural. So be careful to let, not to let the world compromise and bring in common sense into Christ-like sense because that's not what we're supposed to be about. And on top of that, that world, that whole system, it's passing away. This breaking in kingdom, it's the thing that's going to last forever. But this world, and right now you're dealing with them simultaneously, you're in both. But if you align yourself with the world, and its ways, you will pass away right along with it. But if you align yourself with the king and the kingdom and its ways, you will keep on existing. You will have life, not just the fullest life here on earth, but eternal life. That's basically what conversion is. It's aligning ourselves with the thing that's going to last. It's aligning ourselves with the thing that works and it's not passing away. So, In today's passage with that, he now uses a strong word to describe the world and those that have been duped by the world and are, have subscribed to it, even though they're still, they may even still call themselves Christians, some of them. And he calls it, this is, this is the word he uses, a strong word, you've probably heard it before, antichrist, antichrist. Now, I don't know what images pop in your mind. I did a little informal survey of people, and I found it to be true that uh, for a lot of Christians, I thought this was true, but the few that I asked, it was true. Indeed, whenever they hear the word antichrist, they go, what do you think of when you think of the word antichrist? I'm preaching on it this Sunday. Most people put the word the before it, the antichrist. And in, historically, over the centuries, And there's biblical foundation that has caused this to happen, to think of the Antichrist as the Antichrist. And in a nutshell, it's it's kind of seen, he's kind of seen as some epic satanic world leader who won't be identified as satanic by the world. And he's going to mobilize the world against Christianity and try to squash it. And this is all going to happen right before the end times, okay? So I'm overly generalizing, but that's generally what a lot of people think when they hear of the Antichrist. They put the word the there. You might be, if you have that image, you might be surprised to know that Antichrist, that word is used four times in all of Scripture. Four times. None in Revelation. 
Two of them we read right here. The third one is in chapter 4 of this letter. And the fourth one is in the second book of John, 2 John verse 7. It's just got one verse. So those are the four times the word antichrist is used. And not going to get all into that because I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to go with what I know John's talking about. When he uses the term antichrist in these letters, he's talking about any people or ideas that are against Christ and his kingdom. In you, in the world, in the church, anything that is against Christ is antichrist. Any person that has subscribed to anything that's against Christ and is trying to promote that, that's antichrist. In fact, the word anti in the Greek can mean both against Christ and instead of Christ. So it doesn't have to be this enemy that's overtly drawn a battle line and is fighting against Jesus. It can be anything that is trying to take the place of Jesus in your affection, in your life, in your priority, in your mission. Those things are included in this Greek word antichrist. So the world, and you could throw Satan in there, They are overtly and directly fighting, opposed to the kingdom. But the world and Satan, you can throw Satan in there, are trying to offer substitutes. They're trying to offer counterfeits. They're trying to offer a diluted definition of Jesus. The world and Satan wouldn't even mind you following Jesus if it can just mess up who you think Jesus is. They can just deceive you into thinking Jesus is something other than Jesus introduces himself as. So he does a lot here, but for today, I just want to look at the three verses, the three marks of an antichrist person that John highlights in this text, and then use that as a personal reflection. Use that as a personal reflection. So the first mark of an antichrist person is that they depart from the fellowship of Christians. Okay? So I see this in verse 19, where he says to his little flock, he says, these folks, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So here's the question that I want you to reflect on with that observation. Are you avoiding Christian fellowship? I didn't ask, are you coming to church or not? Everyone that's here present is at church. I'm not talking about that. You can go to church and still avoid Christian fellowship. (laughs) People do it all the time. People in here are doing it right now. I'm talking about true, spiritual, transforming, kingdom priority-based conversations and friendship and fellowship. That's what I'm talking about. There's a difference between going to church and what John talks about here. They didn't really belong to us. They were attending, but they didn't really belong to us. How are you doing on that? Are you avoiding it? Because if you are, if you're avoiding spiritual conversations, for example, or certain subject matters that discipleship might have, or or people who you know will bring it up because they love you, you know? If you're avoiding those, there's usually a reason for that. And aware or unaware, 
that kind of avoidance is antichrist in your life. It's antichrist. It's against the kingdom taking ground. Okay? And that's reg- I say unaware or unaware because you might just hide behind some smoker and you're like, yeah, that's just not me. I don't share things like that. That's what Christians do. Okay? This isn't an individualistic deal that we're in. There's part of the walk with Christ that is totally yours. It's personal, but it's also communal. He designed it this way. It's not good for man to be alone. So that expla- this explains, by the way, why we worry when someone, a longtime friend, stops coming to church. It's not because we think legalistically, if you don't go to church, you're not going to heaven. That's not why. It's because this longtime friend has done something that was pro-Christ in their life, and that's attending in a fellowship in worship of Christ and with people who care about Christ. And they've deleted that from their life. And that's a distinctly anti-Christ move. And so that's what it is. So you need to reflect. You can always tell when you're not honoring Christ when you find yourself avoiding Christ-like people. Real, true Christ-like friends. You can tell. So that's your question for today or on this one. Are you avoiding your true Christ-following friends? Are you avoiding certain subjects? Are you hiding certain parts of your life from your Christian community? So that's, that's observation and reflection number one. The second mark of an antichrist person that I see John pointing out is in verse 22 where he says, they deny the faith. They deny the faith. Here's what it says. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. He denies the father and the son. So there is a denial out there, isn't there? A denial that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Christ and all that that means scripturally. Years ago, I had this, I met, met her through a family that, that came here, but a Hindu young lady from Nepal who was interested in this Jesus thing and she needed me to be interested in the Hindu thing. And so she gave me some writings and books to read. And so I read the autobiography of this guy named Paramahansa Yogananda. Yes, I practiced that. So I wanted to use it and show off. So he also wrote these two commentaries on the Christian gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've read about half of those. I read his whole autobiography. And what he says, he's trying to, by the way, show how the Hindu religion and the Christian religion are the same. That's kind of, I'm oversimplifying, but that's what he's trying to do. And the way he bridges that gap is by saying that Jesus is a Christ. Jesus is a Christ. He's not the Christ. He's a Christ. There's others who like to say, you know, that Jesus was this great teacher, along with lots of other epic great teachers through history. The problem with that is Jesus leaves no room for that because this great wise teacher claimed to be God, claimed to be the Christ, claims to be Lord, claims to be Savior of the human race. You can't say he's a great teacher and he's not those things because he says those things. So he's either crazy or a liar. That would make him not a great moral teacher. So he leaves no room for that. There are some who say they follow Christ, but then they describe Christ as something less than who Christ says he was. Yeah, I'm a Christian. In my men's group this last week, we, someone was telling a story, and he brought up a Mormon friend. He goes, Mormon, they're, they're Christian, right? And another guy in our base, my men's group, says uh, they would say they're Christian, 
If you dive into the Mormon religion, you have to look at what they say about Christ. You can't just say you're a Christian. You have to adopt Christ in the way Christ introduces himself to be a true Christian. And so all of this, it's so popular and enticing, by the way. If, especially in, with a love first mentality, it feels so inclusive and kind to say something like, you know, uh, all the different religions, they're like uh, different spokes on a wheel. That's the one I've always grew up hearing. They all start out here, but they all lead to the same hub. Or another way I've heard it said is, we're all trying to get to that same summit of God, the Father, and there's just different pathways up that summit, but they all lead to the same God. The only problem with that is Jesus. It's Jesus. He, he in no uncertain terms says otherwise. In John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one path according to Jesus. So if there are multiple paths, Jesus is not one of them. (laughs) Because he says there's only one. There's only one. He says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father. It's the same thing. Do you see how he elevates himself as higher than any good moral teacher? He says, knowing me is knowing God. the same. He says, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I judge every religious system. That includes other churches and our church. I judge every religious system taught by Christ on what their view of Christ is. And whether they set something else up as high as Jesus as a salvational issue. Or they set something else up in addition to Jesus as a way to get to heaven. I judge every religious system based on their opinion of Christ. That's what Christ has taught me to do. And so there's another, before we leave this point, there's another denial of faith that has nothing to do with what you say. You could say everything right about Jesus and still be denying him. It's in Matthew 7 where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, because that's the right thing to say. He is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, sitting a legalistic works-based thing, that would go against all of the rest of Scripture. It's just true that if you claim him as Lord, you will obviously show it by doing what he says. It's It's just what we do when we claim him as Lord. You can't just believe, okay, properly understood, James 2 says even the demons believe and shudder. So it's not just what you say with your mouth. It includes what you say with your mouth. You've got to say it with your mouth. You've got to own him if he's going to own you. It's just how he teaches us. But it's going to be backed up with a certain life. So your question, your question to reflect on today is do you profess that Jesus is the Christ? And maybe more to the point for a lot of you who say yes to that easy Does your lifestyle profess that Jesus is the Christ? Does your lifestyle do that? If not, then your life has some antichrist to it. Has some antichrist to it. Okay, third and final mark here of an antichrist person that I see in this text is they deceive other Christians. They deceive the faithful. It's in verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So I'm going to broaden this a little bit. I've, I've talked to you many times about uh, 
this unholy trinity that we kind of see of in scripture. You know, we got the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, this unholy trinity. We've talked about two here in 1 John, the world, the flesh, and uh, Satan. And legion are the ways in which the world is trying to get you to make agreements with falsehoods in order to, to be against Christ. Legion are the self-diminishing false things that it's trying to promote as really great ideas that are actually anti-Christ. Legion of the ways in which Satan is coming in and trying to lie to you. He's a liar. That's his native tongue. He's the father of lies. So he's trying all kinds of men. He's very well practiced at getting us to agree. I'm telling you, I have believed lies and fought it with the zeal and confidence that I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. I've been that fooled. We're all susceptible to this. We're all susceptible to this. And legion are the ways that the flesh will incline us to satisfy our longing for life, light, and love in sinful ways. Countless are the ways that we're being tricked. So you need to ask the question in your life, who or what, both of those are important, who or what in your life is deceiving you into thinking and behavior that is less than Christ-like. <sighs> this teaching makes me tired, right? It's overwhelming when you think of it. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we avoid anything that's antichrist if, as I said, they're legion? So John finishes up in an encouraging way. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and stand up. And they're just going to move around the room. And if you need a touch or prayer, if you want to know how to take your next step in following Christ, that's why they're moving there. But here's what John says. John's key for his community and for us, it makes it so much simpler to deal with. I love this. It's in verse 24, right there to verse 27. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. He didn't say, go and identify all the falsehoods, all the things. You just go back to what you know, what you learned, what gave you that confidence, what gave you that joy, what gave you that sin-defying and sin-defeating power. Remember that? Remember that. That's what he says. Go back to that. He says, if it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he promised us, eternal life. His anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real not fake as it is taught you remain in him that's what we're after we want to be after the real thing not something that's fake not a diluted version how do we do that let me let me that's how john says it let me say it my way carrie and i back when we lived in houston we went on this vacation we went to this hotel that had the, this couple that we met at a meal or something. And he was from, they were from Canada and he was a Canadian Mountie. I think I've told you the story before now that I'm saying it. But anyway, he was a, he was a Mountie. So, you know, we have like 20,000 different police agencies, you know, in our country. We've got all, all kinds of things that have different things to do. And like the Secret Service, for example, is one of those. And it you know, goes after counterfeit money. That's one of its, they predicts president, goes after counterfeit money. Well, Mounties, they just have one. It's the Canadian Mounties, and they do everything. But they have little departments. This guy was in the counterfeit money thing. And he asked me this question. He said, do you know how you can tell a fake bill? And I go, well, I presume you, 
get to know them pretty well as you go through what you're doing and you know how counterfeiters do it and what mistakes they make. And he goes, nope, nope, none of that. If you want to know how to catch a counterfeit currency, you spend endless hours getting to know the real thing. You just get to know the real thing. You just know intimately how a real piece of money is made, what it's made up of, what it's marked with. You get to know it intimately. Anything that falls short of that is fake. So I loved that. I've hung on to that ever since. Church, get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus intimately. Get to know the real thing. Know what his heart is. Know what his mission is. Know what his priorities are. Know how he lived his life. How he stayed connected to the Father. Get to know that. Anything that calls you to anything other than or short of that. It's fake. It's fake. You don't have to waste your time getting to know every single thing that's false in the world. That's anti-Christ. You just need to get to know Christ. That's the call today. You know, I really only have one sermon. Don't I? Every week it comes back to this. Live in and like Christ. That's what God, that's who God sent us. And that's what he did that because he knows if we get to know, if we live in and like him, we're living in and like God as we're supposed to be here on earth. So let's worship this great God. If we can help you in any way, please come. Let's stand.